Good morning. Welcome back to the program. Let's pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, I thank you and I praise you for all of the ways that you love us and take care of us and the ways that you've blessed us through the church's liturgical seasons. Lord, I thank you for the impending season of Lent. I ask, Lord, that you would inspire us. Give us grace. Give us a sense of what it is you would have us do. Lord, give us a sense of following you into the desert. Lord, we don't want to miss out on the grace of this season. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Growing up in Boston, one of the phrases that, I think it's Northeastern and maybe even Northeastern Italian, <laughs> so Boston to New Jersey, is the phrase, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And it is, it is a kind of um, throw your hands up in the air and uh, a statement of being somewhat powerless or uh, a little bit just like, you know, there's, there's, there's no real solution here. What are you going to do? And it's, it's a kind of a lament. It's kind of a shrug of the shoulders. You've heard it. I'm guessing you've heard it. Well, I remember hearing that phrase now and again growing up from uncles, from my grandfather, from friends, parents. And, and, and again, what are you going to do? <laughs> I have a lot of fond memories of that phrase. But it's not one that's very helpful for men today or really for anyone who wants to live an intentional life. In fact, so much is about tone of voice, because you could take that same question, what are you going to do, and take it away from that hands tossed up in, in sort of a questioning attitude, and instead uh, put your hands up with a, uh, an intentionality pointing, what are you going to do? Like a being put into question, Placing the question in front of you squarely. What are you going to do? So here we are. It's the day before Lent. And I'm proposing to you that Lent 2023 is going to be a season in which there's more at stake for us to approach this Lent in the second form of what are you going to do than in the first form. Now, of course... Every Lent, there is quite a bit at stake for us individually, personally. Right? God is going to grace us with the blessings we need, the inspirations we need to follow Christ out into that desert in order to leave behind the, the slavery of our own Egypt and to prepare us for the promised land of good things that the Lord has for us. Lent is, is that Exodus journey that the Lord wants us to make. And I'll be talking more about that tomorrow. Uh, I'm gonna, I'll dive into the beginning of the Lenten season. How do we understand it? Today I'm going to focus more on the let's get ready, right? And you can see one of the, the sort of the, let's call it the human and fleshly ways of approaching Lent, Ash Wednesday, is by having a fat Tuesday, a carnevale. Uh, carnevale, which means uh, the meat, carne, vale, goes bye-bye, flies away. <laughs> vale, goodbye. And so it, it was a time of excess, a time of seeking out pleasure for oneself. And in doing so, it was a way of acknowledging that what's coming next? What's coming next is a season where we are going to abstain we're going to fast. We're going to deny ourselves. So why not pack it all in now? <laughs> now, and when I say it's the way of the flesh, but boy, isn't that human? Isn't that something that is part of our own experience? I'll, I'll raise my hand. It's part of my experience. I think it was actually part of my experience over the last few days as I started to hone in on, focus in on, what am I doing for Lent? Um, I've been seeking sources of inspiration. So I've been listening to homilies online. I've been reading and um, talking with Kerry. Uh, I've been reading The Ascent of Mount Carmel. Also reading a, um, a book called The Book of All Saints by um, Hans Urs von Balthasar. It's really by Adrian von Speyer. 
but he's the one who uh, is the editor of this book, which I'll, I'll bring that up in a little bit into the program. And um, in, in doing so, and also Thomas Aquinas, and I'm going to kind of launch in with Thomas Aquinas where he talks about a vice, a vice that would, I think is very relevant today, and it's a vice that holds us back from really entering into uh, the, the gifts and graces that God has for us. But this, the, the reason why this vice is, is important to bring up is that uh, there's a lot at stake. I mentioned that this year, 2023, there, there's more at stake for us. And I, I want to say the reason why, and it's because that the world is pressing in. The world, not, not from the standpoint of the world that was created good by God, but the fallen world that is still reigning under the dominion of the devil and is pressing in. It's those fallen dimensions of the world that are pressing in on our lives of faith and are attacking. They are sowing into the lives of our families and our communities and the laws and policies of the states that we're in. So much so that we are facing a level of spiritual attack and spiritual battle that has come out into the open. It has come out into the open and and it is it's an Elijah moment. It's one of those moments where Elijah speaks to the Israelites. And remember now he in and this is in the book of First Kings. He's the last remaining prophet, King Ahab, the, 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 the king of, of Israel, is tracking him down to kill him. And the prophets of Baal are many, 400 of them, and only one of him. And the uh, prophet Elijah looks at the people and says, How long will you straddle the issue? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. And that, that's, a, that's a moment of, of, of being put to the test. That's a moment of question. That's, you know what that is? That's a, a moment of, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Not, what are you going to do? Not, not the one where you're throwing your hands up and just feeling powerless. No, this is a moment of decision. And that moment of decision is connected to the reality of being outnumbered. It, this is a foreign experience for most of the people who hear my voice. For most of you, you have not been facing situations where you have been outnumbered regarding the fundamental ways that you have lived your life. If you are a baby boomer that's uh, 46 to 64 or older, you grew up in Christendom. You've lived the majority of your life in a time where this reality of Christendom applies. And when I say Christendom, what am I saying? I'm talking about that reality of um, you experiencing the world around you as being fundamentally supportive of your own way of looking at life. And you know what? That's not something that is true, unfortunately, any longer. And this is not my idea, right? This is something that um, this is something that uh, you have um, uh, someone like uh, Venerable Fulton Sheen saying back in 1974. He said, "We are at the end of Christendom. Not now, not Christianity, not the Church. Remember what I'm saying." Now, what is Christendom? Christendom is economic, political, social life as inspired by Christian principles. That is ending. We've seen it die. Look at the symptoms. The breakup of the family, divorce, abortion, immorality, general dishonesty. We are at the end of Christendom. So all of those things that we take for granted in the public square, in our public schools, in uh, the, the general atmosphere that's present in our wider society. These are things that we can take, we could 
take for granted that, well, we're all kind of in this together and we all kind of have this same approach to life. We believe in God and we believe in, in the goodness of God and, and the meaningfulness of life. And of course, you should strive to do what is right in, 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 in this world and, and all of that. Not anymore. No, if you're talking about Gen X that comes after the baby boomers, Gen Y and Gen Z, especially Gen Z, uh, that was like people born after, I think it's 2000 and uh, 2000, no, after 2000, 1998. Um, you have, I think it's 1998 is Gen Z, 1998 and on. You have a, a level of professed atheism, professed uh, uh, rejection of Christianity and of a Christian worldview that is extraordinary. And what you find is that among those younger generations, you, f you see the falling off of Christian belief. And with that goes the Christian worldview, the worldview that is inspired by Jesus Christ and carried forward by the Catholic Church into the world and, and professed by Christian churches as things we hold in common. And you have heard me talk about the ways in which this has been attacked, you know, one pillar at a time. One pillar at a time. Sister Lucia said the, the, the remaining, the last visionary of Fatima before she died, this was in the late 90s, she said that the devil's final attack, Satan's final attack, is co final confrontation is going to be against the family. And boy, have we seen that. We've seen that with first contraception uh, becoming uh, legalized, supported, and promoted, and advanced for the last 54, almost 60 years now, uh, 55, between 55 and 60 years. And then no-fault divorce becoming supported in law. And so the, the idea that, wait a minute, the, the marital act is intended to be an act within marriage and is meant to be open to life in every every instance is something that has been rejected by the wider society. And then look at the effects on the church. Are Catholics fundamentally different in their own beliefs from their wider counterparts, the wider, um, the wider uh, group of Americans? And the answer is not by much, if at all. And then you can go down and talk about the indissolubility of marriage, that marriage is between a man and a woman for life. Well, then after that, now you, you talk about the, uh, the reality of abortion, where, okay, so now that contraception has become legalized and promoted among young people, uh, that when that fails, you have a backup for the failure of your um, your uh, sexual activity, and that's abortion. Now, you, you literally are willing to kill the and destroy the life of the innocent human being in the womb of the mother because her contraception has failed. And then you have further downstream, and, and look, we, we hear these things, and it's like we almost yawn, right? We, we, we yawn. It's like, what's Tom droning on about here? You know, these social evils, these moral evils, these, these realities are destructive of the Christian culture. They're destructive of Christendom. And, and they've been part, part and parcel of, our, of the way we've lived for the last 50, almost 50 years, 45 years, if you take the, all those together. And you say, well, they're kind of woven into our whole way of thinking. What are we, what are we talking about here? Well, are we supposed to be different? Are we Catholics and Catholic Christian disciples of Jesus intended to be different in how we approach life. Are we going to ever stand up, speak out, and push back against that? Well, then you, you run further downstream, and then you had the promotion of marriage between two men or two women and the legalization of gay marriage, which was a, a, a tragedy and a travesty when it comes to the authentic God-revealed and natural meaning of marriage. But we've lost a sense of that today. We've just lost a sense of that. And now we have this demonic nightmare of transgender ideology, which is destroying 
not just the innocence of kids, but destroying their bodies, their, their mentality, their mindset, leading them into horrific, horrific physical states, moral states, and emotional brokenness that is terrible. This has a lot to do with Lent. How? I'll tell you in a minute. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. So we're going to begin launching into this, um, responding to the call of the moment, responding to the call of this Lent by recognizing that we have uh, a call to be magnanimous, a call to extend ourselves to do something great for God, that virtue of magnanimity in St. Thomas Aquinas. That's what we're made for. Men have within them that uh, magnificence, that that desire, that longing. It's not just men, but just like women, there's a feminine genius to women, which is their capacity to make room for others, which shows up in their bodily constitution. The womb-like quality of a woman. The woman has a womb, and her womb-like quality is that she has this innate capacity to make room for others. And literally, her body makes room for another human being to be conceived and to grow within her. And that is the, the particular genius of being a woman. Well, what does Aquinas describe as the distinctive quality of a man? What, what is the quality of manliness? And what is the distinctiveness of that extended to um, a degree of excellence? Well, that's magnanimity. Magnanimity, a great soul, where we want to give of ourselves, extend ourselves, pour ourselves out even sacrificially for the sake of a great good, for the sake of God's glory, for the sake of something outside ourselves. And so you've heard me say it before, that if we are going to travel the path and help our boys travel the path from being a boy to being a man, there is a key concept here in helping young men to discover and to live magnanimous lives, a life where they're not just striving for mediocrity, striving for little things, but striving to extend themselves to do something great, something magnificent, something that is noble, something that is worthy, something that is heroic, something that is glorious, right? Don't you love those words? Don't you want your sons, your grandsons to strive for that, to, to live that kind of life? Yeah, I do. Well, I want that for myself, but I, I want that for my, for my kids, for all my kids, but in a very distinct way for my boys. And what that's called is the virtue of magnanimity. Now, that striving to do something great for God, that, which requires most of all holiness, by the way, and we'll come around to that. <laughs> the, the thing that is essential if you're going to live a magnanimous life is holiness. That's a profound union with Jesus Christ. And oh, by the way, this is what Lent is all about. Okay, starting to kind of see how this is all going to tie together. That what the world needs today, a world that is increasingly coming to be uh, uh, in conflict with a Catholic Christian worldview, even what I just said about women having a particular genius, the female, the feminine, the feminine genius, that's something that's been part and parcel of the Western world from, from eons, from forever. God made us male and female. Everyone knows there's a male and a female. Well, you speak that truth. It's a truth. It's a biological fact. It's a genetic fact. It is a fundamental aspect of reality that God made us male and female. And people will flourish 
as the people God created them to be, as male and female. But we live in a time where that truth has not only been attacked, it has been uh, instituted into into school curricula in public schools in the state of Washington. It has been attacked in uh, businesses, places of business. And if, uh, if anybody gets in the bullseye uh, of the mainstream media uh, around proposing that, in fact, no, it's a good and true and beautiful thing that God made us male and female, and we ought to promote and help kids to flourish as boys and girls— males and females, called to be men and women, somehow we're out of date, out of step, out of touch, bigoted, and, and so we get browbeaten into silence. We get browbeaten into, well, you know what, it can't be that bad. It just, and, that, and sadly, sadly, that's the thing. Oh, it can't be that bad. Really, it can't be that bad. And any attempts, or so many attempts, to try to throw a flag on the field and say, you know, this, this shouldn't be happening. Um, maybe, maybe we should get the parents involved. Maybe we shouldn't give hormones to, to preteens and, and to early teen kids without their parents' permission. Maybe we shouldn't affirm them in their gender dysphoria or in their attempts to fit in and belong by using pronouns and fostering in them a tendency to diminish their confidence in their own reality, their own sexual reality that they are, men and women. And what result? Kids are being just destroyed, just destroyed through this philosophy, through this pseudoscience, through this ideology that is it, it's what Sister Lucia talked about. It's satanic. It's a satanic attempt to destroy the family, to take away the, the capacity of, of moms and dads to uh, protect and provide and guide and lead their kids in accord with their, their own fundamental experience of reality as well as the revealed truth that God has made us all male and female. So let's come back around to this reality of magnanimity that you want, you want boys to turn into men, godly men. How do we do that? Aquinas gives us the answer, the bonum difficilum, the bonum difficilum, the difficult good, the difficult good that there are many good things that we pursue in life. Like it's a this is not complicated. You pursue a certain good. If you, your kids are at school, they're in a class. What are they pursuing? They're pursuing the good of their own formation intellectually, in their classrooms in a particular subject area, and more specifically, they're striving to to get an A, hopefully, or striving to do their very best, whatever their very best will lead to in terms of a score, and so they're going to work towards that goal. And, and that's a good thing, right? It's a good thing to learn about history or science or math and, and English and grammar and all these different things that they can learn about. And some of these goods are easier for some and more difficult for others. But in order to pursue that difficult good, you need something. You need the willingness to persevere. You need that virtue of perseverance. Perseverance means pressing forward with consistency, even when you're facing obstacles, even when things are not that easy, even when there are hindrances and there are realities that when you press in against them and press forward through them, they're unpleasant, they're uncomfortable, they're not very satisfying. But in order to press through, to break through to that next level of realizing the good, that that good will come about, well, you've got to be willing to make the sacrifice. Again, you've heard me say this is one of the reasons we get our kids involved in sports, is we want them to be able to pursue a difficult good, not an easy good. 
even if you're athletically gifted and you find that a certain sport becomes easy at a certain point, if you're going to continue to develop and grow as a player, you have to be willing to make sacrifices. Persevere. If you don't persevere, then you're not going to advance. Okay, we get that. Pursuing difficult goods. Well, let's take a look at this moment in history. In this moment in history, we, on the large scale, have been given tools at our disposal, principally the internet and streaming to devices, smart TVs, smartphones, and uh, tablets and laptops and video game devices, all of these things are what? They are opposed to perseverance. They're opposed to magnanimity, to striving to do something great. They're opposed to the difficult good. Do you know what they foster? They foster the enemy of perseverance. They foster the enemy of magnanimity. They foster the downfall of godly manhood, manliness that is honorable and godly. And what is that? Aquinas has a name for it. It's called effeminacy. Effeminacia in Latin. Effeminacy is this, uh, is this spirit, is this inclination to withdraw from the pursuit of a good, to withdraw from that good on account of sorrow caused by a lack of pleasure, yielding, as it were, to a weak motion. Aquinas says, and this is in the second part of the second part of the Summa Theologica, question 138, uh, which question is, of the vices opposed to perseverance. What is it that's going to weaken, diminish, and undermine perseverance? That virtue of pressing forward through obstacles, through delays, being patient in undergoing sufferings and, and difficulties for the sake of realizing a good in order to do something great and extending yourself for God. This is what we want. This is what we want. This is how we want to live. Effeminacy is the great enemy of authentic, godly manhood. And it's this. Aquinas says, effeminacy is caused in one of two ways. He said, in one way, by custom, by habit, he's saying. For where a man is accustomed to enjoy pleasures, it is more difficult for him to endure the lack of them. In another way, by natural disposition, because to wit, his mind is less persevering through the frailty of his temperament. So, there you see nature and nurture right there. Some men and women have an effeminate temperament, which in this particular definition is this disposition to back away from something that requires perseverance when things are not easy, when things are not easy. Uh, soft and delicate and pleasurable. If we have to endure toils or anything that's going to diminish pleasure, we back away. We back away from, from those things. That's what the television, the smart TV and internet streaming and all this other stuff fosters, is it fosters an entire disposition and custom habit of what? I don't want to do what's difficult. It's too easy to do what's pleasant. Why do I want to give up what is so enjoyable, what is so satisfying at the level of the flesh? Why, why would I want to do that if, in fact, um, I, I'm finding it very satisfying? And the answer is, it's because it makes us spiritually weak, spiritually impotent to perform the mission that God has for us. We are enjoying these pleasures, 
this soft, comfortable life, the Mardi Gras life. Unfortunately, Mardi Gras has gone way beyond a day on the calendar that everyone goes all in because they know after that they're going to face the 40 days of Lent. Uh, No, it's gone far beyond that. We, frankly, live very much a Mardi Gras lifestyle, a lifestyle of choosing what is pleasurable and delicate and, and soft and easy and comfortable, and we don't want to face difficulties or challenges or, or taking initiatives that are going to ask us to pour out even sacrificially. Pour out sacrificially in order to, to do something great for God. Now, how do I know that? that that's, it's, that's quite a big claim. Now, I, I don't think I have to make much of a case that Aquinas, what he wrote back here in the 1260s, uh, so, you know, 760 years ago, is utterly relevant for today. Yeah, I, th- I think you're with me on that, around the, 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 the tendency we have towards that vice of effeminacy, of just choosing what is soft and easy and comfortable. But some of you might be saying, whoa, hey, you don't know me. I get up, I make regular sacrifices every day, when I, go, when I go to work and where I work, or when I go to work out and where I work out, there are definitely areas in my life where I am not effeminate, where I'm not choosing to do what is soft and comfortable and easy. No, I, I get to the gym every day. Um, I have to get up early and I've got to go work a job that's, that's not easy to work, to be, to be kind and patient and, and loving and, and to do the things that I'm supposed to do. Absolutely, that is not my situation. Well, let's take a look at being godly men when it comes to things that are associated with this Elijah moment. If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. Because Baal has many followers today. And God is looking for the Elijahs of this moment to step up and be even prophetic. Welcome back to Sun Insight. This is Tom Kearns. Great to be with you today. Here I am. I'm sort of bridging the gap between President's Day yesterday and Ash Wednesday, which is tomorrow. And I mentioned that we're living in a time where Christendom has come to an end in many ways, meaning, again, that the wider culture in which we live is no longer friendly to our Catholic Christian way of seeing the world or living in the world. And that shows up in the laws and policies of our country and of our state. It shows up increasingly in our public schools and in our places of work. And we, who are Catholics and Christians, have a moment where we are being challenged, challenged by God himself in this Lenten season to be willing to do the difficult to do a difficult good, to strive to extend ourselves to do something great for him, to be willing to step forward and do a difficult good that isn't the one that is of our choosing. I know many of you are making that choice to work sacrificially, to work out sacrificially, but I'm going to challenge you to be willing to stand up and to face a level of scrutiny and Um, finger-pointing, and maybe be willing to put at risk much more in your life than you would have chosen for yourself and wouldn't have been required of you in a time where Christendom reigned. The time when you grew up, when when I was growing up, yeah, there were elements of, uh, of the culture of death, what John Paul II would call the culture of death, contraception, no fault, divorce, uh, abortion, the three main ones, and then you had the the gay lobby increasingly influencing things until gay marriage and now the transgender ideology is just full force on us. And then we have the horrors connected to the internet, with especially internet pornography, but also self-harm and social media platforms that have just led to a degree of effeminacy, of softness in our life that we, we who could have predicted, who could have 
conceived that this would be the world that you and I are now not just inheriting, but you and I are living in the middle of, and we've got to make a decision. How are we going to live and how are we going to live differently? How are we going to make decisions that will be for the good of our families? If we're going to lead and provide and protect our families, if we're going to be holy as the Lord our God is holy, think of Sunday's readings, we're called to be holy in every aspect of our conduct. We're called to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will dwell in us. And, the, and the, do you realize you are the temple of God? That you is plural. It's you, you people together, your family, your parish, your friends. We are called to stand up and do something, to say something, to pursue a difficult good. And that difficult good is push back against the abortion lobby. Push back against the lobby that allows for no-fault divorce. Push back against policies that allow hospital systems working in conjunction with school systems to have our kids be swayed and led into demonic ideologies that are destroying their emotional and psychological well-being, destroying their sense of sexual identity made after the image of God as male and female, and leading them into the moral evil of physically uh, harming their own bodies, ignoring authentic science, ignoring authentic uh, inquiries into what actually happens here, ignoring, ignoring the voices of those who were led into transitioning activities, only not only to regret it, but now have become these standard barriers to say, stop it. We can't let this happen. Stop destroying the bodies of, of teenagers who don't have the capacity to make these decisions and certainly not apart from their parents and without proper protocols, being able to give them a path forward where they can flourish in their own well-being. Where are the voices standing up, speaking out, pushing back? And you've heard me say for how long now that the call we have today, it's a different one. This is Elijah moment. How long will you straddle the issue? And the answer is as long as I can. It's too comfortable and enjoyable and relaxing and pleasant for me to stay in my own home and sit and watch TV and eat some popcorn and scroll through the next set of TV shows and watch those little TikTok video shorts on, on, on those different platforms and YouTube and Facebook and all these other platforms to, just to be able to consume all of this content that leaves us soft, that makes us soft. And in making us soft also, sows, sows into us a lack of sensitivity. We've lacked sensitivity to what's at stake in pursuing holiness ourselves and leading our families in that same pursuit. That's what's at stake this Lent. This is your chance. This is your moment to pursue a difficult good. Not an easy good, a difficult good. I mentioned I'm straddling between Ash Wednesday and President's Day. Do you remember, have you ever heard the letter that John Adams wrote to his wife, Abigail, when he was in France? That guy lived an amazing life. An incredible Christian man lived sacrificially, being away from his family for extended periods of time for the sake of the country, for the sake of our country, an amazing president. And this is what he, he wrote. This was, um, he wrote this in, in 1780. So this was still as, you know, you've had the Revolutionary War and now they're trying to just figure things out, right, in terms of their, their country and trying to establish relationships with, with France and, and to get support. And he says this, he says, the science of government, it is my duty to study more than all other sciences. The arts of legislation and administration and negotiation ought to take the place of, indeed exclude in a manner, all other arts. I must study politics and war that our sons may have liberty to study mathematics and philosophy. And our sons ought to study mathematics and philosophy, geography, natural history, and naval architecture, navigation, commerce, and agriculture, in order to give their children a right 
to study painting, poetry, music, architecture, statuary, tapestry, and porcelain. Now that's a vision. Do you, do you see that? That, that, that? that way of looking at life, you know, he didn't go to France because he was looking for a vacation. He left his family behind in order to represent our country and in order to negotiate, navigate the political realm, be able to get the resources and support they needed to be able to grow this fledgling company by establishing treaties. And, and again, made huge sacrifices. And what does he say? The science of government is my duty, my duty, my du- not my pleasure, not my desire, not my natural inclination, not, not my duty to study the science of government. More than all other sciences, the arts of legislation and administration and negotiation not to take the place of and indeed exclude in a manner all other arts. That was the moment he was born in. That was the moment that he lived in. That was the moment that he led into that um, that was the moment that he led into that uh, was his because of when he was born. He didn't choose to be born in that moment, but God planted him in that moment, and he was going to strive to do what he needed to do in order to fulfill the call that God had for his life. And he realized that that meant a sacrifice. A sacrifice from studying things like mathematics, philosophy, geography, natural history, naval architecture, navigation, commerce, and agriculture. And he said, no, no, that's for my kids. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this one for the team. I'm going to go to this level of sacrifice so that my kids, our sons, can study this level of activity. And, and you know what? They're going to be asked to sacrifice to do all of that. Why? Well, in order to give their children a right to study painting, poetry, music, architecture, statuary, tapestry, and porcelain, the things that build the culture, the things that, uh, uh, that are able to be done when everything is in place, when everything is organized, when, when the realm is established, when good order and society is in place, now we can grow and flourish as a people because everything else has been taken care of. We want to live in a time when everything's being taken care of. And we just get to enjoy the higher arts and the things that we find pleasant and enjoyable. That is not the world that we are permitted to live in anymore. Because that's not the moment that we're living in today. Back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. So, if you heard what I've, if you heard if you heard uh, as you've heard what I've been sharing on this day before Lent begins Ash Wednesday, it's really about being willing to be led into a way of life, a way of looking at our own lives that we didn't plan for ourselves, but that God has prepared for us. It's about recognizing that the things that maybe we would have wanted and planned for our own lives. Now I have to give way to what is needed, right? It's like, it's fine if, if you're on the Titanic and everything's going great and you're enjoying the luxury liner and you're in the first class ticket and you're enjoying the food and the wine and the, and, the, and the dancing and the music. But when you strike that iceberg, everything changes. You can't just rearrange the deck chairs, and think that's going to be helpful. Or you can't ignore it and just say, let's just keep singing and dancing and eating the food as the boat goes down. No, you have to fundamentally change how you saw your life. And you realize, wait a minute, this thing is going down. We better get to the lifeboats and we better get people uh, to be aware of what's happening and get them into the lifeboats. And there are a lot of men who sacrificed their lives for women and children first, that they gave up their spots and they got the women and children into the lifeboats to be saved and they literally went down with the ship. And so you think about that and it's like, that, that has an application today. It does. Uh, it, really, it's, you know, I'm sitting here in 2023 thinking about the decision we made four years ago now. It was... Um, it was almost four years ago where Carrie and I made the decision that, you know, that 
the, the, the ship of faith was sinking where we were living, and we needed to uproot and move our family, get them into uh, a lifeboat. I, I've used the image of the house is on fire now. We've got to get the house is on fire. We've got to pull them out of that house and get them into a place that is going to be healthier for them where their faith can flourish, where they can flourish as, as young people. And praise be to God, it was difficult, a difficult good. It required perseverance. It wasn't easy. It wasn't soft. It wasn't pleasant. It wasn't satisfying. It wasn't something that was done immediately with one action. No, it was a path of action that was very challenging, very difficult, but very necessary. And so we made the move and moved here in the fall of 2019. And beyond that, we started making it our mission, Carrie and I discerning that as we shared this story, others were finding in it something resonating, finding in it something challenging, finding in it something that said, you know what, maybe we better be paying attention too. And so, so much so that I, what did I do? I shifted my entire career away from being a consultant and executive coach and strategy assistant to CEOs of business owners to helping homeowners and buying and selling homes. And so helping dozens and dozens of families. Now it's it's in hundreds of families that have moved here um, as, a, as a result of hearing the call and discerning the call and saying, wait a minute, I'm paying attention to what's going on here. I need to do something. And so I literally became a real estate agent to help families move. And it's so much more than buying and selling a home, but it's helping them discern and take action on uprooting, moving, and settling in their family to a whole new place. And that is, that, that, that's an incredible journey. It's like, okay, let me make the sacrifice uh, of my time and effort and energy. Let me pour out myself for the sake of helping other families be able to find a path forward for their families. And I'm very grateful to God for that. Now, it's Lent. And as I'm approaching this Ash Wednesday, oh, by the way, if you want to learn more about what I'm doing, you can go to drtomcurran.com. That's my website where I put forward information about buying and selling homes. I'm helping lots of folks these days, and I would love to serve you, even if it's just a check-in. I can check in over Zoom to help you discern the concept of, is it time for us to relocate? Even if you're not coming to Eastern Washington or Idaho, I'm licensed in both states, but uh, I can I just help you to discern. I love doing that. I love helping families try to get a sense of what the best path forward for them is because it so often involves what sports team, what uh, what are the things that your kids are involved in, what, what ages are your kids at, what schooling, what parish, right? Understanding the options as well as neighborhoods and communities and all of that. There's so much to it. And I... I know how hard it is to do that in ordinary circumstances, but to do that when the house is on fire, when the boat is sinking, when you're seeing uh, very painful, difficult things emerging in your life and trying to figure out job at the same time, it's overwhelming. So you don't have to do it alone. If you go to drtomcurran.com, you can just uh, sign up right there online. You can just uh, contact me and reach out and um, I'm, I'd be happy to schedule a time to, to visit with you guys, no cost. No obligation. All right. So, but it's Lent. Okay, so what is Lent about? Lent is about us learning to embrace a spirituality and a spiritual path that involves magnanimity to overcome effeminacy. If there's one thing I could encourage you to battle against this Lent, it's effeminacy. That's the vice that wants us to choose what is soft, comfortable, and easy. And as a result of that, pleasant and, and satisfying. And as a result of that, allowing weeds to continue to grow in the garden that God intends to use to bear fruit. But instead, this Lent can be used as a time of uprooting those weeds, of calming down the uh, the, the loud voices of the pleasures that are, um, that are throbbing in us. In, in days to come, as I, I dig into Lent, I'll talk about the way in which Aquinas 
and others have unfolded the power of fasting, the power of fasting to quiet the sensual desires, the pleasures of touch and taste. Fasting and abstinence have a great spiritual power to foster a sense of diminishing effeminacy, increasing perseverance, and strengthening us to be willing to pour ourselves out to do something great for God. Some of you, the Lord is calling to do a magnificent work. And that magnificent work might be uprooting and moving your family. It might be standing up and speaking out and pushing back at work, in the school system, in your neighborhoods, in your families. It might be rescuing and protecting your daughters and your sons at schools, even Catholic schools, even Catholic high schools, that are refusing to stand up, speak out, and push back against satanic gender ideology. It's demonic, and it's destroying kids' innocence, and we do not have enough voices standing up, speaking out, and pushing back. And so maybe that's your call, to stay in place, to stay and battle and fight. But whatever your call is, you need the strength that God provides. Lent is a season where the Lord wants to form us and forge in us the strength we need to fight the spiritual battles of our time. But we will not fight with vigor. We will not fight with perseverance if we choose the effeminate path, the path of softness, of ease, of comforts. And so, In the days to come out, I will share with you a little bit, not all, but I'll share with you some of what I have felt called to do in this Lenten season, to do the difficult thing, to pursue a difficult good, not an easy good, a difficult good, and to persevere in it during the course of the Lenten season. And to do that especially in order to diminish the effects of the attachments of pleasure and the pleasures of the flesh in my own life. I want to be holier. I want to grow in holiness. I want to grow in that union with Jesus Christ. I want to, I want to go deeper into my own life of faith. And in order to do that, I can call upon the grace of the season, the grace of the Lenten season. The Lord has something in store for us, a, a, a treasury in heaven with graces that have your name on it, blessings that have been assigned to you as you discern and take action in prayer and fasting and almsgiving. It's Mardi Gras, Carnivale. If this is your final day to enjoy the the treasure, the the, the pleasure, the treat, the easy thing, have at it. (laughs) Just know that tomorrow's going to be more difficult because that has an an impact on us that it's interesting Aquinas talks about the way in which gluttony, uh, when you attempt to uh, fulfill the gluttonous desire, it just causes the fire to get to burn even brighter and become more turbulent. <laughs> Isn't that true? Isn't that sad? Yeah. We need to benefit from the insights of our great tradition, from the scriptures and our tradition around the reality of Lent. And we're going to do that on Sound Insight, even as I share with you the daily journey I take as well as bring on wonderful guests. So all that in store on our Lenten journey. All right, I pray that God has blessed you in this program. Please pray for me and join me tomorrow on Ash Wednesday for more Sound Insight.